Welcome to day two of Gold Standard University Live. Um, we're going to alter the schedule a bit um, from what was on the um, schedule, printed schedule. Um, the professor is going to um, lead with the first uh, half um, and give a, his, his talk, and then again the 15-minute question and answer period later. And again, um, because there's a problem with clarity and hearing that people want to know the discussion topic. So if you have a question um, and you're called upon, please stand and state it as clearly as possible. And, and we, we may have to repeat it so we have a clarity. And I think it'll add to the process. And then the professor will give the answer. All right. Um, and, and that's what we'll do. And so for that's for the first, uh, the first session. The second one, um, half of today, I'm going to move up uh, the talk, uh, half of my talk, um, on the silver as being the uh, the silver basis is perhaps an early warning sign, and um, I, uh, Tom Zaba will join me uh, in the question and answer period uh, on that topic itself. This afternoon, the early period this afternoon, we're going to have something that we hadn't intended. I mean, this is as I told Martha last night. This is happening in real time as time is running out. Mm -hmm. And um, we're all there at the edge. Things are shifting on us as we speak, and we're lucky enough to have uh, Braun and Nathan here with us. Nathan is an investment uh, 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 in the investment business, and, and he's, a, as we call him, an old friend of the Fecatistas. I mean, back in Hungary when this thing all started, and uh, Nathan's been a, a supporter and a constant participant in this process. And we're very pleased to have Nathan with us. And Braun from Perth Mint is going to. Um, uh, give us some their how he sees it going on, which is I mean we all have questions about uh, this regarding uh, supplies of gold and silver. So that that's going to be uh, the uh, the Braun and Nathan show is for the early part of the afternoon, and the second 45 minute period I'm going to wrap it up uh, not so much on the basis but uh, on why I, I think this um, we're in we are in the situation that we're in where the basis is so critically important because it does deal with the end game, and I believe that the uh, uh, and in that 45-minute talk, I'm going to give the uh, where the genesis of the end game began and why we're all here. Anyway, um, Professor, welcome. Um, Nathan Russes has some very up-to-date information which uh, I thought you would like to listen to, so he's going to share it with us in about two, three minutes. Yes, I'll be very, very brief. Thank you for your uh, indulgence, ladies and gentlemen. This was, uh, it just came to my attention last night, but in this group of uh, rare uh, lifelong learners, it's probably, uh, I'm probably not the first one to have found out about this. The, uh, there is someone who has taken the eBay data of the actual trades that have been going on for uh, physical gold and silver, uh, and I'll just briefly give you an update on what happened yesterday on eBay. Uh, now, I think the person that designed this, I'm, I'm loathe to criticize him because I don't, I don't have possess the technological skill to uh, do something like this, but they must have been a very, very uh, uh, excitable gold bug because they didn't give me enough data to give you the true answers of how extreme the premiums have got, but I will give you what I can be certain of by being, uh, uh, by being uh, uh, conservative. A uh, one ounce gold Kruger Ranch, uh, 29 traded hands yesterday. The lowest premium over spot was 8.27%. Uh, and they were using spot as uh, $749 US uh, gold. Uh, the one ounce gold Eagle, uh, 20 of them traded hands. The lowest premium at which they traded hands over spot was 13.6%. And the, uh, the gold sovereigns, which uh, I believe, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they contain just under a quarter ounce of gold. 
the premium uh, on those, the lowest premium at which one of the 37 sovereigns that traded yesterday on eBay changed hands was uh, just under 15%. Moving over to silver, uh, there were uh, 354 uh, Silver Eagle one-ounce coins that traded hands, and the minimum premium that was paid was 22%. Wow. Uh, the, uh, there were one-ounce uh, silver bullion coins, uh, 89, that traded hands yesterday, and the minimum was 3% premium over spot. However, uh, when I say the way this fellow presented the information makes it difficult to uh, determine it, the highest was at uh, more than twice spot, and I have no idea where the average is in that. Actually, it was with all these products, the highest was at a multiple of spot. And there's no way of knowing whether it was just some brand new gold bug that was terrified out of his wits and buying everything he'd get his hands on, or whether that was closer to what the average traded at. But let's go uh, sell on eBay. And finally, <laughs> the last the last, uh, the last uh, uh, transaction I wrote down was the uh, 20 ounce uh, 20 ounce groups of silver eagles, uh, 16 traded hands, and uh, the minimum premium was 64 percent. Now uh, this is the website for those of you who are interested. And once again, that was those were trades, November 11th trades on eBay, presumably U.S. time, I guess. Thank you. Rudy? Uh, just to let you all know, I bought the silver from Sprott Money last week, just before I left on this trip. $20 an ounce Canadian. So that's 100%, that's the difference in the Canadian dollar. You're the big old bug. Silver, sorry, silver. All right. Uh, my topic this morning is the difference between the basis for grains and the basis for monetary metals. Yesterday, in my introductory talk, I talked about the concept of the basis as a tool of warehousing. So let me just very briefly recall the uh, highlights of that talk. Uh, the basis can be thought of as a proxy for the cost of warehousing. Certainly that's true for the grains. The elevator operator calculates his carrying charge and um, he can recapture that by entering the future markets and his hedging his uh, position in the elevator by selling an equivalent amount of grain futures. Um, then Tom was also talking about uh, the basis and he was uh, describing the various limits which apply. The basis has an upper limit and uh, when we have a condition of contango, it means the future uh, futures price is at a premium as compared with the cash price, but that uh, difference between the two prices cannot be arbitrarily large. And the reason for that is that uh, it cannot be larger than the carrying charge. The carrying charge involves all costs involved 
uh, in carrying the grain and uh, of course the major cost is uh, the cost of warehousing space but also the rate of interest and um, other factors uh, uh, could be local factors enter this so if the premium over the cash price is larger than all the added up carrying costs then there is a possibility of riskless risk-free I think this is a better English risk-free arbitrage because people could buy the cash and sell the futures and since the cost of his carrying the, the cash commodity is lower than the premium he can capture through selling the future there is a margin of profit and this is riskless because he he has locked it in already so he doesn't have to wait for anything he just marks his time and when the contract futures contract expires he just delivers the grade. So because of this risk-free profit which is available to everybody, the, uh, any, any excess over that carrying charge will disappear because sharp-eyed uh, operators will immediately uh, take advantage of it and as they do that premium that excess over the carrying charge will be killed. So this effectively sets an upper limit for the basis. Now the question arises is there a lower limit to the basis? Well we know the basis can be negative that's backwardation and it's a very critical thing which has to be carefully analyzed but the question is how low can the basis go in the negative territory. Once the basis becomes negative, sure we have backwardation, but how big the backwardation can be. And here's the surprise, at least I found in various occasions when I talked uh, to people about this, that, uh, that there is no limit. There is any there are circumstances when the uh, basis can go to any negative level. What this means, of course, if you translate it into the language of shortages or, or excess surpluses, is that the shortage of the cash uh, commodity could be arbitrarily large in comparison with the demand. You see uh, a famine situation it would create a shortage of grain and um, if you think of, you have to think of extreme situations such as for instance a city under enemy siege and um, there is no way to get food uh, into the city under Hmm? Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. And, uh, and uh, 
under these circumstances the cash price could reach any high level because people will be prepared to pay for food they don't want to starve or die of starvation. And of course uh, the other situation which we are most interested in is uh, concerns the uh, monetary metals, gold and silver. When people uh, get scared that the monetary system may just collapse or the banks can fail and uh, in any case they can't get to their bank deposits, then uh, gold and silver can go to any high price level and therefore if you think in terms of the basis the basis can go to any negative level. This is the very heart of our little investigation because it means that there is a basis risk which means that when you have a hedged position uh, you have the cash and you have sold the uh, future. There, there is a risk, but this risk concerns those who have a short lag. So this is, this is uh, the starting point of our investigation, that there is a basis risk. Now, uh, it's, it's interesting to compare the basis risk with price risk. A price risk, in assessing the price risk, you ask the question, what are the extremes which the price can reach? And obviously there is a lower limit. The price cannot fall below zero. It's always positive. However, there is no limit on the upper end. As, and that uh, the examples we have just discussed would be applicable in this situation too. So the price risk is also there. It's very important. And <clears throat> what uh, hedging means what uh, those who are trading the future markets and are watching the basis is simply replacing the price risk with basis risk. So there is a cost for hedging and that this is, is uh, you cover one risk but you face another. However, and that's the point and this is the important thing for us to understand, uh, the hedgers, those people who are uh, trying to manage their risks, they bear the basis risk gladly because this is something they can manage or they can influence whereas the price risk depends on uh, um, factors which are outside of human control. Could be the weather, could be a natural disasters such as earthquake or tornado or what have you. And, uh, and uh, but by and large it's outside of our control. That was the basis risk is something 
we, one can influence certainly more than the uh, price risk, but also the basis risk is far more predictable. To the extent we can't manage it, we can at least make uh, approximate predictions how it will behave. And this is something I have already uh, started explaining yesterday morning when I described that for grains the basis has a definite cyclical pattern with the crop year providing the uh, the uh, the cycle which after the crop year is over is going to repeat itself. This is not carved into stone but it certainly gives you a very uh, useful guideline what to expect. There will be deviations, it could be that, that uh, the crop year is a little longer, a couple of weeks or shorter uh, depending on the conditions how the crop is maturing and being harvested or uh, natural disasters, crop failure or even bumper crop. They will uh, change the pattern uh, marginally but by and large this is the overwhelming feature of the annual cycle, the crop cycle, which keeps repeating. And here I called your attention already the first very important difference between the basis for grains on the one hand and the basis, behavior of the basis for monetary metals on the other. For monetary metals, it's, um, it's, uh, the basis does not behave cyclically because there's no such thing as a, as a crop. I mean, uh, gold mining is a continuous occupation. It goes year round and uh, there is uh, no, uh, uh, no cyclicity to it. However, there's something which is probably just as important, which, which replaces uh, the crop cycle for the grains. There's something for the monetary metals, which helps you to predict its behavior, at least in the long run. And this is the effect of erosion. It means that whenever futures trading started for the monetary metals. We put the date between 1960 and 1970. That's when it started. Before that there was uh, certainly no gold uh, uh, futures trading. Actually I thought about this in the meantime. Yesterday we said that uh, 1965 or thereabouts was the year. But you see Comics. the yeah. comments. Yeah. But, but the, I, I won't. Ha I can't answer this. But the question did arise t to me: is that uh, the silver price itself was variable before that? In fact, uh, the silver was demonetized on a large scale at the end of the 19th century in the uh, 1870s, if you want to put a date on it, 
1873, two big country, important countries were instrumental, the United States on the one hand, which just came out uh, victorious of the civil war upheaval, and uh, Germany, which came out victorious from the Franco-Prussian War. And as part of their victory parade, they decided that they wanted to chuck silver. They didn't need the prestigious thing was to have a gold standard. So both Germany and the United States uh, moved in that direction to demonetize silver and uh, um, put. Uh, the, the monetary system on what they called gold monometallism. Bimetallism was out, monometallism was in. And uh, as a consequence of this, they were dumping silver on the world market because they had silver in their coinage, uh, and uh, that was one thing. The other thing is they closed their mints to silver, both Germany and the United States, and of course a lot of less important countries following suit. And, and so the monetary demand for silver uh, dis almost completely disappeared. China was an important exception which never fell for that. Uh, uh, that uh, monetary trick, which it basically was, uh, the demonetization of silver, because it's not up to governments to decide what money is. It's up to the people, and the people may may not accept it. But in some cases, of the scare tactics, which the Germany and the United States applied, had a result uh, in the market for world market for silver, and it was. Uh, a dramatic decline in the silver price from the statutory uh, price of one dollar and twenty nine cents US uh, it started falling and um, it took uh, a long time uh, and there were ups and downs in fact after world or during World War one silver became made a comeback. Uh, comeback kid, uh, monetary metal uh, came back and reached that statutory price, didn't last very long and then it started declining again and, uh, and the trough was reached in I think 1932 when silver was quoted at uh, 25 cents an ounce, so that's uh, less than 20 percent of the, of the uh, previous monetary price. So you see uh, this raised the question in me and I don't have the answer and I'm uh, wondering if you could uh, perhaps uh, enlighten us. Was there, uh, before COMEX uh, trading in gold, was there another, perhaps another futures market trading silver? Uh, before 1965, because the, the the fact of the variable silver price could have invited such a trade, but I am not aware if there was a, an organized 
future classroom. <laughs> you got nothing for. Um, uh, was there anything in Canada that uh, no, you no, no. It wasn't okay. Um, yeah, the only thing I can think of that would approach a futures market would be the uh, London Ford market, uh, mm -hmm. LVMA. Mm -hmm. But it's not, a, you know, it's not a yeah. typical futures contract. But yeah. they, I presume they would have had Ford contracts at yes. that point. Or and Ford and uh, would the basis show up somehow in this forward market? Uh, well, I think it, it it should if if you know if you know if they're quoting prices. Yeah, I just that's don't know right. Back, I've never seen yeah. prices go back that far. Well, anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, those who want to uh, study monetary economics and looking for a good topic uh, for a PhD thesis, <laughs> please help yourself. I don't think you will have much competition, but I guarantee you it's a very interesting question. All right. So, uh, what I'm talking about is the difference between grains uh, and monetary metals as far as the base, basis is concerned. So let's just assume that we uh, became interested in this problem in 1960 or 65 and watched what happened to the bases during this period of, uh, of time embracing some uh, 40, 50 years, half a century, which is long enough to make some conclusions. The striking feature of the behavior of the basis for monetary metals is, is the erosion. It's, it started from a contangle, which reflects, as, as we know by now, the uh, cost of warehousing and other uh, carrying charges. So from this maximum, we know it's a maximum. It, 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 it cannot be higher than that. So from that height, the basis both for gold and silver started eroding and falling very gently but with uh, ups and downs and uh, it's still continuing. And if you add to this fact, that's a historical fact, but we add our, our um, scientific insight that we are approaching an end game of the international monetary system. Uh, presently, the international monetary system is purely debt-based. It's purely an irredeemable currency. Uh, and uh, uh, historically there has never been a successful uh, uh, system based on irredeemable currency. People will get wise to it, it's a natural process, there's nothing the governments or central banks can do about it. They may, with, by hook or crook, postpone the evil day when the scheme will collapse, but this is inevitable, at least we think so. Of course, uh, the uh, economists who are in the pay of government or central banks would dispute this. They would say, no, no, we have learned all kinds of tricks in the meantime. We had Keynes, and we had Friedman, and we had others, and by now we know how to manage it. And, uh, actually, Friedman does go uh, 
on record and he says that he, he just could not uh, imagine a situation that with our present setup of uh, central banks, Federal Reserve, and international cooperation between various central banks that it could happen. Uh, in other words, uh, 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 German-type hyperinflation, but there were, uh, in practically every country there was one, even in the United States, after the American Revolution, the continental currency collapsed. In, in uh, France, uh, during the French Revolution, there was the Assignat disaster and the Mandat disaster. And, but um, uh, the point is, that if you uh, have a balanced view and uh, you have some scientific standards, you just cannot make a conclusion that our monetary system based on that will survive indefinitely. So it's coming to an end, some kind of an end. We may not be very clear in our minds what kind of end it will be, but if it comes as it will, then it will mean uh, further erosion of the basis because it will show up in the scarcity of the monetary metals. In fact, monetary metals will simply not be offered for sale, not even by the gold mines and the silver mines. And therefore this erosion of the basis is going to continue and at one point, when backwardation becomes permanent, it may even be a, a, a dramatic drop in the basis, meaning that no monetary metal will be offered for sale against uh, paper currency. So this is what replaces the annual cycle for the basis for grains uh, when you study the monetary metals. It's this erosion which ends in a rather uh, revolutionary upheaval, the collapse of the basis. Uh, I recall what uh, we already talked about that there is no lower limit to the basis. Backwardation can go to any depth. It's a bottomless pit where bases could fall in. So this is the basic difference. But there are other differences, and I would like to spend the rest of my time, which is uh, another 20 minutes, or what is it? Um, 10. The will Only be 20. 10 or 15 minutes, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to cut you off. <laughs> I, I, because this is something new, something which I didn't uh, foresee and I, uh, I don't know about others, perhaps they have to make a confession like I did, but there, there was something which I thought that the made uh, monetary metals, the basis for monetary metals different from the basis for grains. And 
looking at the same question now, I must admit that I was wrong because the latest, the very latest developments, including what uh, Nathan just told uh, us a few minutes ago, uh, show that actually this difference was more imaginary than real. So what is this difference? Well, here is a uh, textbook on grain merchandising and the very definition of the basis in that book you know this is written not for theoreticians it's written for those who are actually making a living in trading grains buying and selling grains not following the price movements but following the basis movements. In other words, uh, if you offer to sell them grain, their question is not at what price, but at what basis. And if you want to buy grain from them, they will quote you not a price, but a basis, because they assume that you are trading grains based on the basis and not on the price because the uh, this was my very initial remark that the cost of uh, th that the uh, capital of the grain trading uh, industry which is tied up in building elevators is just too vulnerable to price movement. If a small change takes place in the grain price, it could wipe out your whole capital. So as a consequence, you, if you are trading grains, you have to hedge. You, If you buy, you make a compensating trade in the futures market of selling, and if you sell, then you have to lift your um, your uh, short position, uh, co corresponding short position in the futures market. So this is the first observation when it comes to the basis. It's absolutely necessary for people engaged in this. So let me just read this, it's just a short sentence, how the basis is defined in this textbook, which is uh, uh, an authoritative textbook written by practitioners to other practitioners who are uh, novices to this. Uh, historically it's true that uh, in the beginning all grain trading was guided by the price, but as time went on, uh, less and less trading was motivated by price changes and more and more and by now I think it's far more than 50% of all grain trade is using the basis as its guiding star. Not the price but the basis. So here is this uh, sentence definition of basis as far as grain trading is concerned basis is the difference between the local cash price and the future price. So how does it differ from our definition? Well, we never talked about local cash price for silver and gold. We talked about 
the world price of silver and gold, the world cash price, as opposed to the future price, which you could use COMEX uh, quotation or uh, TOKOM, the Japanese quotation. So, so this is a very dramatic difference. You see, uh, the explanation is, is obvious. Uh, local factors are playing a very important role in the grain trade because once you build a grain elevator then you are tied to that location. Once you started farming and growing grain you are, your farm is tied to a location. So uh, basis is a personal thing, so to speak, for the farmer or for the grain elevator operator because he cannot uproot his farm or his, uh, his uh, uh, elevator from one location and put it to a different location. He's tied to that uh, locality where he's operating. So he has a certain basis and another farmer or another grain elevator operator f 500 miles away will have a different one because the local conditions are entirely different. It, it could be less grain farming uh, or uh, it could be more fertile land or whatever but it will be different. Cannot take it for granted that there is a universal basis at any one time valid for the whole country or the for, for the whole world. And this is very important. Now, what I thought and I suppose most of my colleagues thought before this big crisis, monetary and economic crisis uh, of uh, the year 2008, we thought that uh, definitely uh, monetary metals, gold and silver, were different because uh, they were far more portable. Gold and silver are portable if uh, you don't have a good market in a small locality, you can always go to New York or just uh, rent warehouse space in New York and hold your gold there and, and uh, do the trading from a distance or whatever. So uh, because of the greater portability, physical portability of gold and silver, the gold and silver basis will behave quite differently from the grain basis because the grain is tied to the uh, locality where the operators are and uh, precious metals are not tied. So that was our assumption. And lo and behold, what happened, this crisis put a huge premium. What was the highest premium we heard? 64%. I mean, if you, if you told people a year ago that this could happen, they would have laughed you out of the room. This is ridiculous. They're, you know, because uh, coins, silver, gold are so portable, whenever such a premium... Uh, the, the world supply will be moved to that locality. 
and now we see big differences in the premiums and that's by the way that's obviously a big difference in the basis don't uh, lose sight of the basis here we are quoting uh, premiums but that's basis. Uh, that can be translated sure. in the basis and theoretically it's the language of the basis you want to use so what is going on well, what is going on is that the basis for the monetary methods is not all that different from the basis of the, the grains because it's tied to local. When trouble comes, now normally in calm waters, in calm weather, um, it, 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 the portability of the monetary methods will uh, assert themselves and, and gold and silver will flow to wherever it commands uh, the, highest pr the highest price and as it does move gold and silver the uh, premium will be wiped out but should trouble start all bets are off and then you have to see that uh, the basis is a local phenomenon. So, uh, is, it, is it my time now? Yes. Okay, I, I just add uh, a couple of sentences. We have to return to this because this is very, very important. But it means that you have your own basis, I have mine, Tom has his, and depending where, where you live and, and uh, how good um, relationship you have with the local coin shop, etc., etc., etc. And please don't believe that uh, somebody else can tell you what your basis is. You just have to do your own homework and use a spreadsheet and enter the daily ask bid prices locally and then read the London fix or the COMEX price or the TOCOM, whichever uh, is uh, closer to whichever market is closer to you and, and then you have your basis. Now, I, I don't want to ruin your uh, business. Now that he has. He, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to. There's no intent, Tom. You're towing the line. <laughs> he was listening closely, though. But I thought, I thought you, are selling, you are selling, uh, you are selling your uh, information, your basis charts and, and things like that. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a tool, not as, not as a, yeah, you know, okay. not as the end, okay. you know, for someone no. to use no. in their own. Well, we, we are on so the same wavelength. Talking. There's no problem, but I just wanted to avoid even the shadow of doubt that I'm on. Because, because it's good to watch the charts, whoever charts the uh, uh, gold and silver bases on on a more global basis but this will not supplant uh, your need to calculate your own and and carry on the chart as i will uh, explain it in a f uh, future talk a f uh, further talk during this conference uh, 
uh, what is important for you is not so much the absolute value of the basis, but the, the change of the basis. And that is what is giving you the signals. That, uh, uh, any violent change in your local basis, which you calculate for yourself, will, will give you the signals. So with this I close and open the floor for question. Uh, I just want to remark that um, it shows that we're really in sync. He's one minute off. <laughs> Our 45 minutes, uh, we may have started a minute later and probably did. So we're doing quite well. Yes. David. Um, Professor, you're talking about um, uh, the flow of metals um, as a way of uh, evening out the basis. Um, and with reference to the eBay, um, isn't it just a matter of time before the mints sort of wake up? Some a mint somewhere will all of a sudden wake up and say, "Okay, well, the best prices are on eBay, so maybe we should be offering our coins on eBay rather than over the counter." He's okay. The um the data that Nathan came up with this morning about the premiums on eBay, which is internet-based, is not a local coin dealer, you know, it's not Kitco, it's some guy out with his stash of coins selling his coins to somebody else who wants to buy those coins, and we're seeing a remarkable premium here. I think Dave was asking the question, there's an obvious a natural arbitrage where you see this huge difference in prices, and he said, in a way, this sort of the Reagan thing, won't the market take care of that arbitrage? Won't someday the Perth Mint um, wake up and see the difference in the premiums and decide to sell directly into it rather than you know supplying their coin dealers and um, and maybe even out the flow that way. Is that right, Dave? Uh, yeah. Well, th th this is this is possible, but uh, sure, eBay is not a local market, but it's a limit, rather limited yeah. market as opposed to what we used to have only a few months ago when the market was absolutely global and the slightest deviation uh, ignited arbitrage and, and, and you could take it for granted that these deviations will be wiped out in practically no time and now it's no longer happening because because the, the whole system became sticky oh, now that's my view I mean this phenomenon is so new, so recent, that it will take uh, a, a much more careful analysis than we can provide yeah. here. The, the point I'm trying to make is that like, if the Mint doesn't do it, then some smart individual is going to be lining up the Perth Mint, sticking in his order, going on the queue, it might take you know, two months to yeah. fulfill the order, and then he's just going to be selling in Devo. He's going to have constant orders in the Perth Mint there. And he's going to be doing it if the, if the mints are not doing it. I think Braun is yes. going to Braun's going to announce that this afternoon he has a bus. And there's a tour bus scheduled, and you go with him to the Perth Mint. There's a side door, and, and, and we, 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 we tell Braun before what we want. You know? Braun. Uh, just in response to that, um, the uh, shop manager of our retail shop, told me that there was a guy who was actually buying, and this was, you know, three months, four months ago before we really saw these sorts of premiums, that he was bought 5,000 one-ounce kookaburra silver coins, and she said, why are you buying so much? He's selling them on eBay. Now, what's interesting to me is that, that someone would buy them from eBay and not think within Australia to go, oh, look in the yellow pages, or I'll call the coin dealer, I'll ring the first me. 
but, but and he then bought another lot of five thousand. Now I don't know if he's had any such luck because we have had this excess of mud, and you know, I don't think about buying those sort of quantities going forward. So it has that has happened. Someone is trying to arbitrage that. Right, and there and there are dealers. There, I mean, there are coin dealers on eBay. Look at who's selling in volume. That today it isn't the little guys. It's you know, if you know what there is, it's usually the dealers. Lawrence, actually. Uh, could you stand up, Lawrence? Yeah, pardon me. Uh, actually, eBay, in my experience, is in fact a local market on the national level. If you try here in Australia to buy silver or gold in the United States through eBay, they won't ship it here. In fact, it's difficult to get it shipped from Perth. Okay, and if I want to go get my uh, allocated silver in Perth, because you won't provide insurance on shipping, okay, I have to fly to Perth, rent a car, and drive it back to Brisbane. So there's, uh, that's another factor in the basis is transport costs. You mentioned it was a factor in grain or, uh, uh, basis, but it's a factor in bullion basis too. Sure. Ease, it really is. Yes? Is there a, a basis so that takes account, I guess, also fabrication, converting large bars to small bars for retail, for retail markets? Is there a role for basis in analyzing that? I guess uh, he's asking a question that with, and this is, uh, this is something I think Braun would answer because he's from Perth, Mint. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is your question is is that is there a way of calculating the basis in the processing process itself in terms of cost? Is that what it is? Is 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 that applicable? What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that question because while the Professor was talking, I was sort of thinking that the premiums are in a way a basis. I mean, the Professor's thing is that I'm going to, in the grain business is I'm going to invest some capital, some fixed dollars to build an elevator and I, I want to make money. My business is storage, not you know speculating on the grain price. So that is why you would buy spot sell futures and you want to make sure that that gap is enough to cover the cost and you want to make sure that elevator is full during each season so you can make your return. And in some sense, in a similar way, the coin premium is the basis of which in a manufacturing business where you're spending capital to set up some machines to mint coins and you don't care and indeed I can tell you the Perth Mint does not want to be exposed to the metal price and it has mechanisms which I can talk about later in the afternoon how we deal. We don't deal in futures, we use the leasing market. But same thing, we're not interested in where the price goes, we just want to make sure it's the premium above spot that we get which pays for that capital investment to manufacture. And in some sense, so you're right, the premium is a manufacturing basis, just as I suppose the basis is a storage basis. So there's a different, it's a similar concept, yeah. Braun is beginning to realize that he actually works for a gold and silver elevator company. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other questions? I would like to add the thought that the whole character of trading changes if if delivery times are extended from the usual 48 hour or at most 72 hours uh, delivery times because this will make trading so sticky that it's it, the two patterns cannot be compared any longer just think of yourself that you order uh, a quantity of gold or silver and you are told that we take your order but delivery time is six months. 
most people would step back and say no thank you I'm not taking this trade because because you cannot tie up your capital uh, for such a long time without knowing what happens in the meantime. This is just too much risk to take and, and therefore uh, you can't uh, just factor that delivery time into the trading pattern. It just won't work that way. So uh, whatever you can say that eBay is uh, uh, local but national and, and I, I intend to I, uh, do agree with that, but the fact is that it's the problem is really the lengthening of the delivery time, which which changes the whole character of the trading. Well, and adding to that, I don't know if maybe someone here has the specifics, but recently there's been some chatter on the internet that. Someone took delivery of so much tons of gold wholesale and they paid like 30% premium for the spot price. Does anyone here know what yeah. the particulars of that transaction was? It's Canadian. Was it, was it okay? No, not really, because even up to today, the premiums in Dubai are more than a dollar an ounce. Uh, but yeah, well, uh, yeah. But uh, this particular chatter—I don't know if, it, if it's true or whatever—but I think it would play into the same thing that we're talking about. That oh, cool. you know, at a one particular yeah. place at time, 30 tons of gold or whatever it was may be worth more than it is on the war the spot price that you get on Kitco or whatever. Um, and that's not a form of basis that we, you know, I've certainly looked at before. And you know, I think you've you've said you know it was a very recent revelation. But um, I think you start seeing more and more of that as you have a demand increase and the supplies start to drop. But at this basis that I think I referred to it yesterday too, sort of, now you have all these different types of bases you could start really looking at. Whereas before, really, it, it didn't make sense to look at anything other than just the, you know, the almost the, the Kitco spot price and the futures price, because everything else was, you know, in that same range and it wasn't, it wasn't driving toward any particular trend of increasing or decreasing. Yep. Could you stand up? Yeah, because I mean, you make your own assumption, but I think, yeah, it's probably the delivery window and the tonnage and how quickly it could be delivered and perhaps the quality. I mean, you know, it could be any number of things. But the fact that someone specifically is, you know, is that being that specific and is willing to pay that much more to get that in that format in one place is, is not something I've heard of, if, if it's true, but even if it isn't, I would presume that it will be true at some point <laughs> in the yes. future. People will be doing those kind of transactions. Based on the local prices, I don't know how to do it because I get gold through Australian Bullion Company in Sydney, and if you watch the prices there, their buy-sell spreads change dramatically. From one day it could be 3%, they'll have an 8% or even 10% spread. The odd thing is that sometimes the price of gold will drop, and yet their spread changes, so they are actually willing to buy it back at a higher price than they were the day before. So it's very confusing trying to work out what a base or anything like that would be using your local prices. Can I answer that? Yes, Judy. Uh, mainly, I think. Judy, could you stand up? <laughs> mainly, I think in Australia, some of the bullion and corn dealers buy direct from the public. So you can sell them back to ABC, and if they have an info, they could sell it to you cheap. Uh, the spread would be slightly cheaper. Same with uh, another company called Ainsley. I don't know why, but they got hordes of Colabara, and they can sell it much cheaper than Perth Mint. All right.
Um, any other questions? Yeah. Yes? Uh, Professor, I just wanted to ask why, um, if uh, the backwardation goes into permanent, why the mines would actually stop selling? I mean, aren't they still going to need cash just to keep their operation going? I can't. It's the other way around. When Contango goes into backwardation, mm. then the mines may at one point decide to stop or yeah. at least decrease. What, what I'm saying is why would they do that? Don't, don't they require cash just to keep mining? How are they going to pay their employees in, in gold instead? Or like well, yes, the, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at, at, at the end game of gold, of gold standard, I mean, that's what you'd be paying in, right? So if you're a gold miner, this is actually an interesting question, you're a gold miner, you're mining gold, and the same thing that you're mining, you pay, well, obviously you would find it, but that, you know, as, as a process, that's 